Hello! Welcome to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list. My name is Clay, <laughs> and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm great. I have a, a box full of knives and some creaky black leather gloves, and I'm ready to have some fun, Clay. I have my verbal tick ready so long. <laughs> <laughs> and I will employ it when I need to so long. Yes. I, you know, I that listening to that guy talk, all I could think of mm-hmm. was Pepe the Prawn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because he's yes. always the one, it's okay. It's, yeah, he ends yeah. Everything, ah, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we are talking today about The Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1970, which is Dario Argento's directorial debut. It is oh. number 88 on our list and has an 85% Rotten Tomatoes score. Had you seen this before? No, I came in totally clean slate on this one, and I did not realize it was his debut. It is, yes. Yeah. He um, he had been around for a while uh, writing some stuff. At least it's mm. his first solo credited uh, director. He might, I think Got he might have like worked on some other stuff. I think that counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, he like he wrote. I can't remember if I mentioned this during um, Deep Red, but he mm. co-wrote Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, uh, so he had been. I guess he had been known as wow. more of a western and, and sort of like action writer. That's so interesting. And so it was a bit of a surprise for him to come out with this uh, taut Hitchcockian thriller, hmm. or may I say, a Michael Powellian thriller, <laughs> based on based on uh, what we had discussed last week or last time with Peeping Tom. Yes, because I think. I stand by what I said. I think that there is a lot of Peeping Tom in the Giallo films. And this is sort of... uh, The Giallo movement had sort of started with um, Mario Bava in 1963, I think, Mm -hmm. with a movie called The The Girl Who Knew Knew Too Much. Mm -hmm. But this movie is the one that's sort of um, credited with really blowing it up as a genre. Yeah, and didn't... didn't, I I didn't know it was this film, but I know Argento is kind of known as like refining the elements of oh, it. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. really distilling it down to, like, this is what makes a Giallo film tick. Yes, yeah. and we will talk about that because if you could, if it is possible to make a movie entirely out of tropes, <laughs> I think this is it. <laughs> this is essentially Dario Argento Mad Libs. Yeah, kind yeah. of, yeah. Uh, for better or worse, depending yeah. on how you, how you feel about it. But uh, I had not seen this either. I had actually been wanting to watch this for a long time. Hmm. Um, and I specifically kind of avoided it once we started doing this because I yeah. knew we were going to watch it eventually. Yep. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm a fan of Argento's. I like Argento's stuff when it skews more weird. Mm. Uh, so I'm a more a Suspiria and Inferno kind of fan. Same. But I have to say, I've been kind of coming back around as I've watched more of the straight Giallo stuff. Mm. Like I really like Deep Red. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, <clears throat> a couple of the ones we're going to do if depending on what we end up doing next year for uh patreon mm-hmm. we might hit another couple of oh. uh giallos of his like tenebrae Ooh. um and something like opera which oh. are a lot more it's it's tough because <laughs> w- well we'll get into it when we talk about <laughs> I'm jumping the gun here <clears throat> we're jumping the straight razor um we're going to play the trailer for you Take a quick break, and we'll be back. I can't get in! How do I open the door? I'm Inspector Morosini. 
I want to know everything you saw and heard. I can't pin it down. There was something wrong with it, something odd. There is a dangerous maniac at large in this city. Do you really love me? Sure. Just before we closed, we saw that painting that was in the window. Did you make the sale? No, uh, the poor girl did. Last night, a blonde, 28, lived alone. The press are beginning to put two and two together. They think they see a link between the four murders. That's why he's trying to kill me. This damn thing is turning into an obsession. Okay. The Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1970, written by, uh, sorry, directed, but written and directed by Dario Argento, based on the novel The Screaming Mimi by Great Frederick title. Brown. <laughs> Still want to know, did the phrase come first or did the novel or is it a novel or, or a novella? Uh, according to IMDb, it is a novel. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering because I've heard the, the phrase The Screaming Mimi's. But I did not realize it was also a book. Yes. Uh, The origin of the Screaming Mimi's first recorded in 1925. No. I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) But yeah, it is a a question whether or not that the title predates the phrase or or vice versa. Chicken and the egg scenario. Yeah. Either way, um, I I think Bird with the Crystal Plumage is a better title. I think personally, because Screaming Mimi's sounds like some sort of space monster movie. <laughs> but that just might be to our modern sensibilities. That's though. true. It actually was, the book was adapted as the Screaming Mimi's in 1958, mm-hmm. I think. Mm. Um, and apparently, there, I was reading that there is some connection between that and Psycho, where Psycho actually kind of riffs on something that's in that movie. Oh, so interesting. all of this stuff is one big, you know. Yeah, melting pot. Circle jerk. Or melting <laughs> Circle pot. Circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, this movie, Bird, uh, Bird with a Crystal Plumage, stars Tony Musante, Susie Kendall, Enrico Maria Salerno, Ava Renzi, Pino Patti, and Kurt Barlow. Kurt Barlow. The vem- <laughs> the ve- Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've been talking all weekend. The I was vampire. At, I was at the vampire. I was at New York Comic Con this past weekend doing nothing but talking. So, my, so I'm just... going to make Clay carry this episode, you guys. Yes. Uh, that was to ruin my joke, which is not a joke, that uh, it also has Kurt Barlow the vampire from Salem's Lot in it. The assassin, casting. The assassin in the yellow jacket yes. is- From the Boxers Club. From the Boxers Club is Kurt Barlow <laughs> the vampire. Amanda. Yes, Clay. Take this away from me. What do you what what happens in this movie? An American writer, Sam Dalmas, is living in Rome with his girlfriend Julia. While visiting an art gallery, Sam witnesses an unsuccessful murder attempt by a mysterious figure. 
As the assailant is believed to be an infamous serial killer, Sam quickly becomes a key witness in the ongoing police investigation. After he begins searching for clues that may help him identify the killer, Sam discovers that he may be the next intended victim. <laughs> the plot of every Adario Argento Yes. Movie. <laughs> or every... also known as man watches helplessly while woman is stabbed. Yes. Every Dario Argento movie where the protagonist is a male, this is the yes. story. Yes. Well, Clay, some things you'll find in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage include... Yes. Um, sex metronome. I have lots of questions about the sex metronome <laughs> because... They... I wanted to make this a segment of the episode. <laughs> so when do they start it? Because when they start making out, yeah. metronome is nowhere to be seen, You've... but when they're done, it's I mean, going. Maybe so... it's to help him keep time. I guess. Let me just say it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I guess you got to focus on something so yeah. you don't get you know too ahead of yourself there. But uh, it's, I mean, maybe it's like he's training or something. I have no idea. Maybe it's the only way he can uh, find completion to the tones of the metronome. Maybe he has a problem with premature ejaculation. And so (laughs) this thing, and it's all, this is, see, I think this fits into the weird psychosexual Mm. undertones of the film. So I think we might have cracked it. Yep, yep, yep. I also just want to say I love that we both immediately blamed him for the sex metronome. Oh, yes. It never occurred to either one of us that Julia (laughs) had anything really to do with it. No. She seemed too normal. Uh, a dinner of raw radishes and cat meat. Yeah. Uh, I've, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about that whole sequence. Mm. But, um, you know. Y- All part of a balanced diet, Clay. Yeah. You, I guess. The food pyramid, you know. The base of the pyramid's raw radishes. Mm-hmm. The top is cat meat. And that's it. Yeah, and the rest is some sort of gravy, I guess. Yeah, and wine. And wine. Yeah, yep. I, you know, all of these Argento movies need to have one weirdo in them. Just it's, one? At least, at least one weirdo. <laughs> There's several weirdos in this movie. There are. Which this... I'm all for. I love the weirdos. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, cosmic art. Yeah, I don't, is that a real thing? And near death by. Yeah, is that a real genre of art or did that? <laughs> I mean, I. My knee-jerk reaction is no, but I'm 100% sure that someone in real life was like, no, man, this is a subgenre. It's called cosmic art. It does feel like something that existed between 1968 and 1972. Yes, with a lot of LSD. Yeah, and like was really popular on like one block in Italy. Yeah. Yes, and And Dario Argento was like, aha, the future. Yes, and then it was was all completely gone. Uh, You'll also find in this movie... Perverts. Bring in the perverts. (laughs) Best part of the movie. Send in the clowns. Bring in the perverts. Bring in the perverts. But. (laughs) Bring them in. Not the transvestites because transvestites are not perverts. Ursula was lovely and I'm sure she's not a pervert at all. No. Let her go home. Those heels look like they hurt. (laughs) Uh, You'll also find bedtime cigarettes. Bedtime (laughs) cigarettes. That was another man. If you if you ever needed the, something, the sixties were just a different time. If you ever needed something to just like firmly root this in nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy Italy, mm-hmm. it's a it's a big breasted woman in a nighty lighting up yes, a cigarette, a sheer nighty, right as she goes to sleep. Yes, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> anyway, um, the bird with the crystal plumage. This is, uh, as I said, sort of the. 
the the giallo that sort of like kicks off the era in the 70s mm. um it's the it's the one that made Dario Argento kind of a household name um <clears throat> giallo of course being the italian thriller and mystery genre mm-hmm. taken from the na- the uh the the, the mystery books with yellow covers. Giallo means yellow. We covered all this on Deep Red. Do your homework. <laughs> um, Pause this episode. <laughs> yes. Go back. Listen to the Deep Red episode and then come back and finish this one. Uh, you know, this... So the thing that's so fascinating about this is this has so many identifiable Argento things mm-hmm. like right off, right out of the gate. Yeah. Like the first thing you're seeing is black leather gloves and a bunch of knives yes <laughs> and like the black leather gloves aka the first things you see when you walk into my house yeah and the black leather gloves uh stroking the knives in a very yes. kind of sexual way sitting in a typewriter in a full trench coat and hat poking away with my black leather gloves yes yeah yeah it's it's fascinating to me how much this is like Arge- I mean, I guess you could say for better or worse, but it mm. is Argento's thing kind of fully formed right away. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I would say fully <clears throat> formed, but I, I know what you mean. Like all of the elements are there and it's sort of like he, he focuses on various ones in different movies and yeah. maybe maybe drops a couple over here and then adds them back in in the next one, but drops this other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's yeah. like this set of pieces that he keeps building different structures with and it's really interesting because he he clearly is chewing on the same right ideas and trying to kind of like i don't know if he's trying to like find some perfect expression of them or Mm. is just just finds them to be such rich texts uh, in and of themselves that he can just keep reusing them yeah and it is it is fascinating to me that this setup which is Mm -hmm. um It, it's just kind of this he he goes back to this a lot which is mm-hmm. male protagonist yep. usually american or at least not italian yeah in deep red i think he's english yep who lives in italy mm-hmm. who gets wrapped up in a murder thing <laughs> yes who then starts doing more detective work than the police mm-hmm. um but they he specifically with oh and, and they're always artists yeah. Like uh yeah. there's this guy and this one is a writer in Deep Red. I think he was a pianist. Yeah, he's a musician correctly. of some Composer. kind. Yeah. Uh Tenebrae, which we'll get to eventually, I mm. believe is a writer again. Mm. So there's this <clears throat> there's this element of an artist living abroad mm-hmm. who gets caught up in a murder thing after kind basically kind of seeing the murder happen. Yeah, sort of just accidentally stumbling into it. Yeah. Like like none of the I shouldn't say none, but most of his protagonists don't seem to do anything to cause any of this or put themselves in any particular situation. It just right. sort of happens to them, whether or not they they sort of are initially interested. Yeah, and this one is really interesting, too, because um, as I was joking about it at the top, this kind of feels like a movie that's built entirely on tropes more than yeah. a story. And I mean... I, it's really tough to criticize in that way because mm. Argento's movies and like Italian horror movies from this era full stop are basically like if you're coming for the plot, then you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're looking for something that's very like logic driven and narratively coherent. Yeah. like Which is yeah. ironic because what he's drawing from for these movies is 
are mystery stories, which are mm. traditionally very tightly plotted. Yeah. And the best ones, as they tend to, you know, the cliche goes, you sh- should give you all the pieces to solve. Right. And this one, I don't think you could solve this if you were given a... Th- I think you could probably guess the killer, but yeah. you definitely could not guess why. <laughs> yeah. No, I... I... <clears throat> I am proud of myself that because at some point while watching this, I said to you, I wonder if the killer is a woman. Yeah. And uh, that was purely just, I think there was like one scene where I think I used that showed the killer and just proportionately it looked like the person had very small hands. There was also. And I was just like, I feel like that's a lady. And then the two recordings with the different voices, I was like, I feel like there's maybe two killers and one of them's a woman. After you said that, mm-hmm. I noticed the scene where. Um, the killer is digging through the door with the knife uh-huh. while the while Julia uh, Julia just like writhes and screams on yes. the floor of a very large apartment. Yes. Has a full breakdown directly in front of the door when she could run like many feet in a different yes. direction. I noticed when you see the eye in the mm. in the door, it's it's pretty clearly a, a woman's eye. Ah, interesting. I missed that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting that he takes this genre this mystery genre um and really kind of runs it through like a surrealist filter that that kind Mm -hmm. of requires you to let go of the uh logic of a traditional mystery thriller yeah because he's i don't think he's interested in that yeah i I think think he's because yeah (laughs) because what he's interested in in this one and in Tenebrae and a lot of these other ones is very much the act of like voyeurism yeah and watching and seeing because this and Deep Red have a, another similarity where they are both about or they <clears throat> both come down to the protagonist questioning what he saw yes that u- ultimately helps him quote unquote solve the, the the mystery yeah yeah and he's being watched the whole time right. Right, and the, like the way by the murderer, the way um, everything is kind of like framed is very much mm-hmm. like watching like the mur- yeah. the fir- the attack that he witnesses is almost like he's watching it in a, on a screen, a movie. Yeah, screen. and like I a, and know, he him he himself yeah is like trapped in a display case. Right, you know yeah. he's he's in a glass box. It's sort of like he becomes part of the gallery. Yeah, he's like a, an object on display at the same time as she is being stabbed and and viewed. Yeah. And, you know, the way that they, I almost kind of wish, and I mean, I guess he does this as he does his later movies, but mm. I almost kind of wish he had stripped away more of the traditional mystery stuff. I was going to say that I kind of wish, like, I, I think, I've been thinking about it a lot since we watched this. I think I like Deep Red more because it's weirder. Yeah, me too. And I think this one suffers from trying too hard to make things make sense a little bit at least Mm -hmm. like i I feel almost like there was a little bit of maybe hedging hedging of bets where it was like we don't want to totally lose the audience so we're gonna give like some some clues we're gonna kind of parcel some stuff out to make it seem like this makes some sort of sense and Mm -hmm. it's like it kind of doesn't need to like yeah it really doesn't and you know (laughs) one of the things about this movie and unfortunately about this genre generally um, is that this movie has the fastest cop plot we've come up to. <laughs> yes. But what's interesting, but the thing about this, this setup is, and I really, 
I'm really going to want to come back and talk about this after we do Suspiria, which mm. we will be doing next month because Amanda yep. and I are going to yes. see Suspiria with a live performance by Goblin. Oh, it's going to be so good. Which I'm very excited about. Um, <laughs> but I want, I'm, I'm really interested to talk about this in reference to Suspiria because not that Suspiria is explicitly a Giallo movie, mm-hmm. but the main difference is that one of them has a male protagonist, one of them has a female protagonist. Mm-hmm. In the female protagonist movie, Everybody that she tries to get to help her just writes her off as being hysterical. Yes. In the male protagonist movie, the cops literally say, (laughs) could you maybe look into this for us? Yes. You seem to have an angle on this. Everyone (laughs) takes him so seriously. Everyone takes him so seriously. And and then Deep Red, the same thing. The protagonist there. And, And I would argue, at least in this movie, he's a writer and we don't. I think he's a fiction writer, but I'm not sure. Yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe he's not. Maybe yeah. he he maybe he does nonfiction and investigative stuff and research and all of this and it makes sense that he's so so dogged about these things and you know, maybe he's great at finding facts. Who knows? Right. It's not really explained. So at least in this there's some nominal reason why they might let him get involved, but like yeah, all of the, the male protagonists it's just like you seem like a capable man. And it's so it's so fascinating to me too because like just narratively the way that stories tend to work you would think mm-hmm. that would be the cops being like don't get involved in this we'll handle this and then the yeah. guy being like they're not looking in the right place right this one the cops are literally bringing him in and yeah. showing him evidence and being like what do you make of this it's really <laughs> interesting because I feel like in in so many of these movies the cop plot is introduced as a way to create more conflict right in most of these movies exactly yes and in this one the cop plot is there to like spoon feed the protagonist more information yes and like give him more clues and more data to kind of keep him going like to fuel him up and like set him loose yeah it's pretty explicitly an exposition machine yeah which i I don't know how i feel because on the one hand it, it does feel a little weird that the cops are so just like, hey, buddy, you know what? We'll let you handle this one. Yeah. Random American who who is trying to leave this country. But on the other hand, it's kind of nice. Like, it's kind of refreshing to have it not be like yet another Stephen King movie where the cops are like, we think you did it. There's all this evidence that it couldn't possibly be you, but right. we still think you yeah. did it. So it's, it's kind of nice that it's not that at least. It's, they it, suspect him like very briefly and then they're pretty much like, no, it's not him. Which is really funny because yeah. like it's a, essentially the equivalent of getting pulled over for a speeding ticket uh-huh. and then they're like, I'm sorry, we pulled over the wrong car. Since you're here, <laughs> do you think you could help us find the uh, car that was actually speeding? And be like, yes. yeah, no problem. Yeah, of course. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and, and it's the main protagonist, I feel like is never really in danger like it at least in yeah. in deep red um the main guy has a couple close run-ins yeah this one he's pretty clean well, you know aside from when his girlfriend gets attacked well no i mean he is attacked a couple times that's true there's the one scene in the in the in the alleyway where they swing the thing at him and then the and assassins. then there's yeah where do the assassins come from I have no idea. Maybe the husband hiring them to yeah. try and scare him off or something. Um, but I think part of the problem in this one is that Sam, the protagonist, is just so calm. I guess that's what it is. He's it's, like yeah. so unfazed yeah, by all yeah. of it. He just like, none of it really phases him. He doesn't seem, 
the worst he seems at any point is tired. Yeah. Like, yes. he comes home one day and he's tired. And Julia's like, well, you don't seem very enthusiastic. And he's like, I'm tired. Yeah. And that's, like, the worst we see him. Even when he's really frantic or, quote, unquote, frantic. He's, he seems pretty pretty mellow, pretty middle of the road, even when he's, like, running down the road for somebody. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's why my memory was that he wasn't in much trouble is because he. You never get the feeling that he's in trouble. Yeah, it's just like a scene happens and he's like, "That's crazy." Someone tried to cut my head off. Anyway, yeah. yeah, when the when the person tries to meet Cleaver him in the alley in the foggy alleyway and the little old lady is like, "Watch out!" Yeah, yes. She's like the person swings. They hit like a pipe. They run away, and the little old lady goes, "Oh, are you okay?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, I'm fine." Yeah, fine. And he just keeps walking. Yeah. And then he leaves a little old lady out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some meat cleaver toting psychopath. Yeah. Well, everybody's got to go sometime, I guess. Yeah. He's yeah. He's this man is extremely zen, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I am I wrong in saying that there is no mm-hmm. way to actually solve this mystery? Because I because the th- the other thing about this that was driving me kind of nuts uh-huh. is he ends up going down all of these threads like chasing down these threads that ultimately really don't seem to add up to anything and when you finally do find out what adds up there is no possible way you could have figured this out unless you yourself have also been raped and driven insane by a painting yeah (laughs) yeah i i think that's one thing that i like less about this one versus deep red again yeah because if you go back because the whole thing with with Deep Red is that when the main character sees the murder and he rushes into the apartment, afterwards he thinks a painting has been stolen or moved. Right. Yep. In that scene in the very beginning when he runs in, you can see the killer. Yes. And then the the killer leaves. Like that 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 moment is shown to you, but your own eye just kind of glosses over it. It's kind of like an optical illusion. Right, yeah. I rewatched this movie. <laughs> And you oh, do, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. And you do not see, like, in the in the beginning struggle between the black-clad figure and Monica, yep. who's the woman in white, you do not see how that struggle starts. Right. You just see her getting stabbed, and then the person in black jumping down the stairs and running away. Yeah. Like, and- you would have to have seen even kind of, like, distortedly or like through a through a mirror or reflection or you would have you would have had to have seen her start with the knife right in order to even have the possibility of figuring out right that it was her because the twist in the reveal ends up being yeah, that the whoops. woman that he sees <laughs> Monica stabbed at the beginning is actually the killer mm-hmm. and she was struggling with her husband yes who's been trying to stop her right even though he was wearing the exact same thing that she wears when she kills people. <laughs> Unless she wears his clothes when she kills people. Well, either way, he was he was dressed yes, he yeah. was dressed like the, yeah. the killer black from hat. I know what you did last summer. Yeah. <laughs> black hat, black trench coat, black pants. Yeah. Um and a knife. And so the the, the turn is that he actually is stabbing her in self defense uh-huh. whereas she was actually trying to kill him. Um and I it's like I don't know. I I, I didn't find it fully satisfying. Mainly because, like you're saying, I think it plays plays dirty pool a little bit. Yeah. And also, it this movie again 
cares so little about the mm-hmm. plot that the way that they give you all of this stuff is first they make you believe that the the husband did it. Yes. And his confession is literally him falling out a window and then <laughs> seconds before he dies he goes, "It was me. I was the killer. I tried to I killed everyone because I didn't want my wife to to hurt anymore. So that I, it was I I did it. It was me." And then he <laughs> Into dies. the tiniest microphone you've ever seen yes, in your life. Yes. Which they were ready with the microphone which yeah. is, which was, you know. Yeah. They're on it there. Um, and of course, that that's a smokescreen for a final scene that yes. I still... Again, he has to put the pieces together in his head yeah. that the, the painting is this woman, is a, is a illustration of this woman being sexually assaulted, which has then driven her insane <laughs> to kill people. And, you know, it's interesting because the movie does try to give you some of those pieces. Yeah. So, you know... He witnesses Monica get stabbed and she's she survives and this is how he gets embroiled in this whole investigation and he starts to helping the cops try to figure out what the hell's going on and it leads him to because there's three women who've already been killed mm-hmm. and despite the, the, fact, the fact that the cops keep saying they have nothing in common there's nothing in common in these three murders but we know the same guy all did it so it's a serial killer and it's like <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting that's logic. Like, that's like that's like uh, dorm room logic where you're like, listen, I know that three different kinds of food have been stolen from my fridge. Uh-huh. And I know that the same person did it. And you're like, dude, you just, you've been eating your own food. It's just gone. Right. <laughs> we, plus, we, people come and go out of this room. Who knows yes. who you says? No, it's a serial killer. Yeah, exactly. Um <clears throat> So so they, they sort of, in, in tracking these women who've been murdered first, one of them worked at an art gallery? No, no, no. Um, at like an antique shop. Yes. And that's where this painting was sold from. Mm-hmm. So that's how the painting gets introduced. And she's the first one killed. So the implication is that at some point Monica came in because she's wealthy, married to this wealthy art dealer guy. She comes into the antique shop and buys this painting of her own attack mm-hmm. and seeing it drives her crazy. Right. And so she kills the girl who sells it to her. And then later Sam tracks down <laughs> the artist who we should talk about. We should. And the artist says, Oh, that painting is a true story. I knew the girl it happened to mm-hmm. like a, a madman got a hold of her and he attacked her and it was, and it was horrible. That thread is the only way, like, they, they would have had to add, like, three more steps down that thread. Right. Like, what was the name of the girl? Oh, well, you know, I think she changed her name, but back then she was known as whatever, and mm. then he would have had to keep following that for it to eventually lead him to Monica. Right. Which would have then been, like, at least some evidence that it was her, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, they just yeah. kind of drop it. <laughs> Well, because there Which was, is fine, but there, there were other women who were murdered that I yes. don't think. No, they, they they don't look into at all. Like the the woman. Oh wait, well the prostitute because that's how they get to so long. Right, but what? So she's not connected in any way, though, right? Or no, she was just a lady of the night. Yeah, and the uh, the nighty lady with the cigarette, she wasn't connected nope. to anything, right? Nope. And <laughs> lady in the stairwell. Well, yeah, lady in the stairwell. And also the way that he, the way that that woman with the cigarette is killed, yeah. is very rapey. Yes. In a way that, I mean, I guess you could 
rationalize as well i mean the rape is the thing that's triggering her so i don't know but it's just- well and if she's identifying with her own attacker that's what he did to her so maybe she's she's repeating out her own attack over and over again on these other women yeah do you know what i mean right yeah i guess that's that's how it would, how you could look at it yeah yeah and i mean there's the whole like mind hunter thing of like stabbing is a stand-in for the sexual right. act right yeah it's it's a tough like, i and again i i don't know if it ultimately really matters because right. the style of the movie is the thing but it's just so interesting that this i that's why i can tell this is kind of an earlier argento movie because the style of the movie is the thing and should be the thing and like kind of should be more of the focus. And I feel like this one is still kind of trying to prop itself up with plot. Yeah. A little bit. Cause yeah. it's maybe a little tentative about just leaning really hard into like the weirdness and yeah. just the visuals of, of everything. And, and that's not to say that he doesn't because mm. when he does, I think it's when the movie's at its best. Absolutely. Like I think the, the, the first sequence where, where he stumbles upon the woman getting stabbed is awesome. Yep. And, uh, the chase with the guy with, uh, uh Kurt Barlow and the yellow yes. jacket is really great. Yep. Um, the, the woman in the stairwell. I love kill that is scene. Really, really good. I think that's maybe my favorite. My favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. When he leans into his, what become more of his kind of trademark, mm-hmm. the movie really starts to, to kind of hum. Yeah. Um, but th- yeah, it, it, it does feel like it is, the, the plot is just bare bones propping up. Yeah. You know, scaffolding for the rest of this stuff. Yes. Which, I don't know, how did you feel? I guess we should, how, how did you feel about this movie? Did you like it? I did, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, it's it's tough when you've seen one, when you've seen two movies that are so similar by mm-hmm. the same director and you like one more, Yeah, it's a little tough to like not compare the two. So it, it's hard for me to look at this one separate from Deep Red. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like it. I I. I found the characters weirdly likable most of the time. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's just either so bizarre or conversely like so normal. Like mm-hmm. Julia strikes me as like deeply normal. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. nice. Do you know what I mean? That she's like the, the straight person in a like entire movie full of weirdos and characters. Yep. And despite Sam's sometimes flat affect, I, I think he's he's a good main character for this movie because he is kind of like a sponge. He is just sort of soaking in everything around him and like Mm. letting himself go deeper and deeper into it. Yeah. And and I would, I think one of the more interesting aspects of this that they don't really get into that much Mm. is how Sam's story is that he's a writer who is currently struggling from writer's block. Yeah. And once he starts investigating this murder, Mm -hmm. his writer's block goes away. Yeah. And he starts writing again. And it it's kind of that kind of stuff is what makes the kind of thematic stuff and the subtextual stuff about this a lot more interesting than mm-hmm. the plot. Yes. Because again, it is very much about like voyeurism and watching and and violence. And violence and the effect of violence on people and like for better or worse depending on how you prefer to digest this stuff argento's blending of sex and murder mm-hmm. is very purposeful 
Yeah. You know, like there is, he's, he's really kind of being, um, you know, he, again, this is something that he perfects later on in something like Suspiria where Mm -hmm. he kills people in these really gruesome ways, Mm -hmm. but he does it to the extent that it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's so you, it's, it's beautiful to watch, but it's also deeply disturbing. Yeah. Like there's a scene, there's a, a bit in Suspiria that I still think about where I'm like, man, he just really was swinging for the fence to try and do some weird shit where mm. the, I think it's the first girl who gets killed in Suspiria, the one who falls through the glass. Oh, so yes. There's As she's getting stabbed, there is a <laughs> yes. close up of you can see her exposed beating heart in her chest yep. that you just see him stab directly into. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, man, you know, Jesus. it's it seems like overkill, but it's like purposefully he's he's overkilling and doing it in such a disturbing way yeah. to kind of make you feel two ways about it. Yeah. And I think it's tough because, you, you, you know, I think um, he's probably better at that than a lot of people that came after him. Because mm. I think a lot of movies that came after him kind of do the thing that always happens when there's a, a very popular kind of like genre changing thing, which is they kind of yeah. take the wrong message out of it. Yeah. Or the wrong theme yeah, out of it. Yeah, they take the surface level like. Right. Yeah. And so you get you end up getting a lot of these Italian movies specifically, Italian giallo movies specifically, that are, are very violent mm-hmm. and very kind of like sexually exploitative. Right. You want to see, uh, it's sort of like, oh, people loved bird with the crystal plumage they must want to see more uh large-breasted women in sheer 90s get stabbed right and not just get stabbed yes. it's like get during like bloody during the, murdered yeah during the act of being murdered yes. their clothes come off and, right. you know yes. it's not just stab 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 it's like we're gonna cut off her panties yeah. and then we're gonna slowly cut her shirt off and yeah. then we're gonna slowly stab her right into yeah. her boobs it's the opening of um what what is 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 the the joke the opening of scary movie do you oh, remember yes. that when it's like yeah. the, the Drew Barrymore stand in and she's running through the like yard and like her right. sweater gets pulled off and then her pants get pulled off yep. and she just ends up running in her underwear through then the she yard. She gets stabbed in the implant and the implant deflates. Yep. 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 I tried to watch that movie recently. That's a rough one to watch. <laughs> I have not watched that in probably like when did it come out? Oh jeez. Pro- um, if it's twenty years, it, I probably have watched it in twenty. Probably years. over. Yeah. What years? Twenty. Yeah, I think that was. Probably late nineties, early two thousands. So at least twenty years, so I would say. Old, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting because, you know, the when these women in this movie, when you see the women murdered, it's also a bit of a red herring because it is there is such a sexual overtone to it that mm-hmm. you believe it is a man doing it, kind sure. of implicitly. Sure, like it doesn't. At least for me, it didn't initially occur to me that it might be a woman because it seemed so predatory in that yeah. way. And then, yeah, the connection between like these women are getting killed in this almost erotic way. And at the same time throughout this whole movie, once, you know, we meet Sam and he sees these murders, he also like cannot keep his hands off of his girlfriend. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like there's this, thrill or charge that's going in both directions right where he all of a sudden becomes very uh virile should we say Mm -hmm. in both like his relationship with julia but also in his work 
like all of a sudden he's able to produce. <laughs> like right. he doesn't need the sex metronome anymore. Or maybe, I mean, maybe that's like when it works the best. Yeah, is uh, when maybe he's like ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but all of these these like the thematic stuff is really interesting to me. And I also appreciate how you're not beaten over the head with it. Mm. Like, it's not sort of like art is death and, and, and art is murder. <laughs> but you can also draw those things together as you like. Yeah. The fact that so much of this happens in an art gallery, the fact that so much of it has to do with a painting, like it does kind of go into the, what kind of effects can art have on people? If you like separate yourself from it, on a human level or you're taking the wrong message from it. Right. Like yeah. what if Monica had seen the painting of her own attack and instead of identifying with the killer, identified with the victim still, right. You she know, just like started on profit or something. Exactly. Or like maybe come to terms with her own trauma or maybe have a different type of breakdown. I sure. don't know, but it's sort of like she looked at a piece of art and she took the wrong lesson from it. Mm. Well, it's, it's what's it. You really kind of get, two sides of the equation in this because you've got Monica who is uh, driven to uh, driven to violence through mm-hmm. art but then you've got Sam who's driven to art through violence yeah and it's it is a really I I, I like that it does kind of push these buttons both ways because yeah. it doesn't really give you there's really not a there's no message you should be drawing right from this. it's not saying art is bad right and it's also not saying art is always good yeah yeah. And and it's just it's the there's so much baked into this about the the idea of consuming uh consuming visual things and consuming mm-hmm. art and the relationship between violence and art and stuff yeah. like that. And it it is it is a lot of uh it's a lot for a first movie, frankly. Yeah. And again, it is not explicitly on the surface because right. I think I so I find Argento movies to be difficult sometimes mm-hmm. because the murders can be so fetishistic. Yeah, that it's like that's fair. <laughs> I don't know if I'm giving him too much credit for what mm. he's doing. If he is doing this for all the reasons I said, or if he's doing it just because like he kind of gets off on it, because his response to that would probably be, "Why not both?" Probably, <laughs> especially because in, I believe in all of his movies, mm. the first person killer is him. Mm. Like he is, he is the one acting as the killer in those scenes. Interesting, and also because I think what? he's kind of a weird guy. <laughs> You don't say. Based on the number of times he's made his daughters get naked in his movies, I'm going to say he's kind of a weird guy. You, I am shocked. Um, but you know, it, it's. I think it's. It can be difficult, and I think it's easy to write this stuff off because the mm. surface level stuff is. Oh, this is just a very exploitative women murder movie where the right. male the male protagonist is completely unflappable and mm-hmm. blah, 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 which all of that is true. It's like it's it's like RoboCop, right? <laughs> Stay with me. That is not where I expected this sentence to go, but okay. Stay with me. (laughs) RoboCop, (laughs) on its surface. I want to watch Dario Argento's RoboCop. I would fucking pay for it. I would pay to have that movie made. (laughs) RoboCop, on its surface, is exactly what everybody who criticizes RoboCop Mm. says it is. But it is also... Critic in its in and of itself yeah. criticizing and satirizing all of that stuff that people com- are 
criticizing it for. Yeah. Which, and so it gives you this extra layer of of, uh, interpretation if you want it. Right. On the surface, RoboCop is a dumb science fiction movie, exploitation movie about a robot cop. (laughs) But if you really want to get into it, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, you could say it's similar to people who run around with the Punisher logo on their t-shirts and whatever and don't actually know anything about what the Punisher stands for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I do have an interesting, I mean, of these, the Giallo movies that I've watched, I do find that a lot of them post Argento do skew more like sexual and like the the sex and violence. Yeah. That, they kind of, a lot of them unfortunately kind of turn into, here's a bunch of attractive, big breasted Italian women. Yes. Let's watch them get killed. Yes. Um, Oh, man, I was watching one. So when I was doing Poser, mm-hmm. we kind of based Poser quite a bit on or like the look of it and stuff on, on these Giallo movies. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching a bunch of them on Shudder. And at the time, Shudder had a whole Giallo section. They might, oh. I don't know if they still have it. The movies yeah. might be scattered at this yeah, point. Yeah, I don't know. So I watched a, a decent number of them. And there are some that are just like unapologetically misogynistic movies yeah and it's it's a like to the point where it's like a lot of like slapping women around and stuff like that (laughs) yeah you know dragging them into a room having sex with them and then like you know they get killed 10 five seconds later yeah and it's it's really you know it they can be tough watches and you get to a point where you're like all right i appreciate the genre but like what are we doing here well it's sort of like any other genre like you were saying, if it, something if something hits a chord with the viewing public and the gets fifth chord and gets popular, Sorry, that's another Giallo movie. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's they're they're taking the wrong lessons from the the movies that come before. Yeah, and it's just sort of like like with slasher movies, like the the further on down the line from sort of the the originators of that genre, the more you end up with stuff that's just kind of like mindless and silly and violent right um because it's really kind of just chasing that lowest common denominator to try and like make something cheap and make money off of it yeah and they do i mean i will say that they do tend to get pretty freaky there's some that get like Mm. really freaky as far as you know motivations for the killings and like what's actually mean there's one of them the one that i came across that was probably one of the more intense ones, all said mm. and done, was a movie called "What Have You Done to Solange?" Oh, which is it's a great title. Th- these movies have the best fucking titles, <laughs> like uh, "Black Belly of the Tarantula," mm. uh, "Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key," "Whoa," "The Red Queen Kills Seven Times." Oh my god! Amazing titles. Um, "What Have You Done to Solange?" is is <laughs> like a, a a giallo murder mystery that takes place at like a girls' boarding school great and you know by the time you get to the end you find out the sordid uh sexual sexually deviant reasons for everything happening but sure that was one where i was like woof (laughs) (laughs) like it was i remember it not being so much uh titillating sexual yeah by the end it was like disturbingly sexual if that Mm, makes sense yeah yeah where it's sort of like you know whoever's making this or the target audience for it is getting off on it more than they're thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's or, more just sort of, yeah. That. Or they're just trying to disturb you, you know, right. which, which again, 
I think it's it's up to you up to you to decide how much of that stuff you you and you're willing to watch or enjoy because sure you know like a movie like this I could see a movie like Bird with the Crystal Plumage I could see a lot of people writing it off at the time oh yeah but it's the kind of movie where I'm glad that it was made like I'm glad because I think I find this subject matter to be interesting and mm-hmm. you know it does kind of make you go you know yeah. like this. It's yeah. not it's not easy in a lot of places. Right. Well, I mean, which like, is, I think it's healthy. But yeah. But I mean, similarly, like, you know, we recently did Martin, mm-hmm. which is re- a really hard watch at points. Right. You know, yes. yeah. so it's it, but but I think that that movie and, and this one, the thing they have in common is you can argue about how much the the creators intended these themes or how much it was just like, is Dario Argento just a weirdo? Mm-hmm. But the fact that you can find these deeper themes in it to to discuss, I think, makes it worthwhile to kind of sit yeah. through the discomfort. Yeah. Whereas some of the lesser versions of these kinds of stories that don't have that sort of backbone holding them up, it's kind of just like, oh, okay, this just feels like shock value and nothing right. else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's another thing that does make me think of Peeping Tom. Yeah. Because I feel like Peeping Tom is kind of is operating in the same kind of spheres as a movie. Like they're also very much about voyeurism. Also many creeps with a camera and sharp objects. Yep. And also very much has a undercurrent of sort of sexual dysfunction and yep. and trauma. Yep. That manifests itself in a in a destructive way. Yeah. What I'm saying is Peeping Tom needs more respect, but people <laughs> need to see it. <laughs> Peeping Tom Plus, if you if you take Peeping Tom, and you add uh, Blood and Black Lace, you get you get Dario Argento. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's that's um, pretty good math. I can't I can't wait for you to watch Blood and Black Lace. I'm very excited to. It's like it's it's kind of like this, but it, it, it's closer to Suspiria than this. Okay, but it's that's like because I love Suspiria. It's so. like if Suspiria was a lot more like swinging sixties. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> this is gonna be that's gonna be a fun one. Um. <laughs> And also, like again, I can see his influences in this. Like the the killer is kind of essentially dressed like the killer from Blood and Black Lace, who is yeah. who is basically black trench coat, black hat. He's kind of dressed like the killer from Deep Red, right? Yeah, <laughs> it becomes a trope in and of itself. Yeah, you know, it's he's synthesizing a lot of stuff here. Yeah, for the purpose of kind of deconstructing it at the same time. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I, I don't know how much credit to give him, frankly. I but think- I think that's what makes this movie so interesting is that you can argue it in both both directions. Yeah. And it, it almost at this point doesn't matter how much he intended or not. Yeah. What matters is what you, what, you know, the viewers can find in it. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe he didn't intend. Maybe we are giving him too much credit. But like you can still argue it. It's it's still a salient point. Yes. <laughs> you know? I also like how this movie deals with the like the concept of obsession. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where like Monica is so traumatized by her attack that she becomes fully defined by it and mm-hmm. obsessed with it and has to keep reenacting it on others over and over and over again. Like she cannot stop. Hmm. And then I think it's also interesting to watch Sam sort of let go of everything else in his life to descend into his obsession with this murderer yeah and with what's happening like my biggest piece of evidence for that is how in the sort of climactic sequence towards the end where 
the husband has died and Julia has dis- Julia and Monica and their friend have disappeared. And Sam tracks them down and he goes into this creepy apartment, pitch black, and he finds the painting. Mm-hmm. And he finds his friend who's been murdered. And then he confronts the murderer finally and she reveals herself to be Monica. He had gone there originally looking for Julia, but the minute he realizes that he has the murderer in his sights... He he completely he forgets does about, forget her. about her. He com- yeah. She's like whimpering on the floor, and I don't even know if he realizes she's there. Yeah. Well, she's t- she's not going anywhere. She's fine. But he doesn't see her. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know if he even knows she's there. He just completely forgets about her, and this is supposed to be the person he's in love with, hmm. and yet he just is just like, yeah, whatever. Maybe she's dead. Goodbye. <laughs> I gotta chase this murderer. Yeah. Yeah. I you know one of the things I was looking for in this movie. It's one of my favorite. Argento trademarks is the uh, crossing of a thresh a threshold into a completely mm. unexpected space. Yep. And my favorite example being in, in Inferno when there's a girl in a basement of a house mm-hmm. who drops a key into a puddle. Mm. And so she goes to reach into the puddle and it turns out that the puddle is actually an entranceway into the second and third la- layer of the basement that are underwater. Oh, it's fucking great! Wow. Um, and uh, Suspiria obviously has the, yep. the the door behind the flowers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was looking for. I was wondering if that was something that was present this as early as this movie. And it comes at the end when he sees yeah. the painting, he finds his his dead friend, and then he opens the door, and he's yep. presented with the first room where he sees the 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 the, uh, the girl get stabbed, Monica yep. get stabbed, and I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I had a thought, and then it just it it departed from me. Well, here's a question for you. Sure. So I, bird with the crystal plumage. Yes. I think is a great title. However. Hmm. I don't think it's a great title for this movie because <laughs> I can, so I I had seen the the poster yeah or the cover for the most recent DVD yeah which depicts a bird that looks like it's made out of crystal yes and so I thought there was some sort of crystal bird in this movie that at the center of this plot yeah when it turns out just for half a second there's yeah. a bird that happens to live underneath the window of yes. Monica or whatever yes um. Good title, bad title. Were you disappointed at the involvement of the bird? <laughs> like, though, you know, you, you you hear the bird with the crystal plumage. I'm thinking, oh, Maltese falcon. There's going to be something, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, I, I, I think I agree with the point that it's not a good title for this movie because I also feel like it, it does sort of give you more of like a Maltese falcon. Like this is going to be more of a classic detective noir, mm-hmm. at least in my head. I, I don't know, know if it's purely just the Maltese falcon connection, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else you would call this movie though. Yeah. <laughs> Do I you guess, know what I mean? I guess what I would have preferred is keep the name, figure out a way to work the bird into the story thematically mm. or something. 
Every time she hears the bird call, she goes crazy. No, just like, you know, <laughs> I don't know, something about the bird or something about the way the bird in captivity is somehow. Sure, sure. I don't know, thematically. She, yeah. Beauty in a cave. I don't yes. know, some bullshit. Yeah. Just, just a way to make it a little <laughs> art, bit more. Art, art, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Just a way to make it more resonant than just being like, oh, that clicking sound is that bird with the big tail feather. which Yeah, is, that lives in the zoo. Yeah. Great. Yeah. We do have to talk a little bit about Berto Consalvi. Yes. Is that the painter? Yes. Yes. So I'm glad. Clay, when are you going to enter your mystical period? My Everything I do is my <laughs> mystical period. So I'm glad that you recapped what happened in that scene because as yes. I was, I must have missed where he says, oh, the painting is based on an actual thing. Yeah. Because as I was watching the movie, after that scene was over, I was like, why did we go here? He didn't learn a goddamn thing. Why did he go here? Like, uh, other than to get him out of the house so the, his his girlfriend could be attacked. Mm-hmm. Which, I might add, if you had to catch a plane in eight hours <laughs> and your husband said, I'm going to take a train an hour and a half out of the city, I'll be back in plenty of also, time. Also, hey, which... baby, there's a murderer killing beautiful young women. You're a beautiful young woman. I'm going to leave you alone now. And the killer knows right. where you live. Right. Go- yes. Goodbye. Yeah. Especially after I feel like he's already had the cops have been like, you have to watch out. They're probably he's probably looking for you now. Even well, though the, I'm not the, really the, sure why. The, the but... phone call was like, are you, are, is the girl with you? She's oh, so right. young yes. and beautiful. How yeah. would you like it if she died? Like, <laughs> it's a pretty explicit it's like, threat. It's like if there had been someone in the house with Drew Barrymore at the beginning of Scream. Yeah. He picked up the phone and then he was like, huh, that was weird. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go get a coffee. I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I I don't know why, but the thing that stood out to me was when he was like, when's the plane? In eight hours? Okay. It's an hour and a half away. I can take the train out there and be back in plenty of time. And I was like, you are not going to make that. No. Like, I, if no, there's anything I can say that I know for sure is you are not getting on that plane. Yeah. But I, but I think that's, you know, evidence that he didn't really want to. That's true. He didn't want yeah. to leave before the before the mystery was over. He tried to convince himself he was okay with it. Plus, I don't know if he ever got his passport back from the cops. I know. We never we, we see them take it very pointedly and we never see them give it back. Yeah. So who knows? But yeah, the uh, um what's his name? Berto Berto Consalvi. Consalvi. Yeah. Uh very interesting scene. Um, <laughs> he's he's dropped off in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Also, also he gets dropped <laughs> off, and he says to the ta- he says to the taxi driver, "Thanks so much for driving. That'd be a hell of a walk." And then the taxi guy leaves. I don't think it's a taxi. I think it's or, just like a local who who I think he oh, just hitched yeah, a ride, right. and it's just some guy who's like, "All right, bye." If especially if he's got to get back to catch a plane, yeah, he's not, you he's pay not that guy it. a couple extra lira to Say, stick hey, around. Hey, will you sit here for twenty minutes while I deal with this crazy man who's exactly boarded up? And cemented all of the doors and windows in his house except for one. He's so that building has all the boards, all the doors and windows except yep. for one boarded up. Yep, he, it's full of cats. Yep, including naughty Theodore. Including naughty Theodore. Theodore. None of those cats are going outside. No. He's a painter. <laughs> it means he's got tons of paint shit around. Uh huh. He's cooking cat meat. <laughs> yep. He looks like Grizzly Adams. Yes. What I'm getting at he is... He has not bathed in many, many days. That place must have stunk so bad. Yes. But on the upside, he's eating cats. That's true. I'm staying healthy. <laughs> that is... It's such a weird... Like you were saying, there had to be at least one weirdo in this movie. And there's like seven. Yes. There's like when he's first... 
when he sees Monica get stabbed at the very beginning, a man walks by outside and is very strange. Mm-hmm. He's just a weird dude. There, that's he. So he's a weirdo. That guy calls the cops, though. He does call the cops, yeah. but he's still a weirdo. True. Um, the antiques shop owner is clearly supposed to be a weirdo. Um, Consalvi's a weirdo. The pimp is a weirdo. Yes. <laughs> There's there's so many weirdos in this it's, movie. You know, this movie kind of it's. I feel like the the weirdness of the characters almost takes the place of any well constructed red herring because yeah, all of the characters are so weird. You can't help but think, oh, this guy's going to be important, but he's not. Yeah, he's just a weirdo. <laughs> this guy could have murdered four women. Yeah, it's just like we need to have a scene where exposition is given. Mm-hmm. How do we make that interesting? Make everybody let's, a weirdo. Yeah, let's make him a pimp and have him uh, have to have a speech impediment yeah. that requires him to say so long at the end of every sentence. So bring in the perverts, Clay. Bring in the perverts. Nobody asked <laughs> Ursula Andress the transvestite whether or not she knew who the killer was. What if she did? That's what I'm saying. They should yeah. have asked her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I just had to bring up Berto Consalvi and his weird ass house. The, honestly, his the disgusting thing, dinner. The thing that stood out to me about that stuff is, and I know this is unfair because <laughs> movies have to be made on a budget, but when you have a character in your movie, and especially a plot that centers on a painting, Mm-hmm. Just hire someone who can paint, please. <laughs> Those paintings were terrible. They were terrible. I like at one point he gets up from the table and he just like fills in half a circle and he goes, genius. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> it's like his paintings are like sub, let's go to a paint night paintings. And he's he, yeah. and people are acting as though he's like, uh, you know, Picasso or something oh or like the God, next no. big thing. His paintings were terrible. Which I think he knows. I hope so. I well, hope that's the point is that he's gone completely insane. I think that is part of the point. I mean, he's like obviously very poor if he's yeah. eating cats. I, I don't think that's like a preferred diet. Yeah. And then he tries so hard to sell the main character a painting. And the main character is like trying to hustle his ass out that window and down that rickety ladder because he realized he just ate a cat. Yes. And he keeps lowering the price of his painting by 50,000 lira at every turn. Yes. <laughs> You know, the eating of the cat thing was strange, too, because he starts, Sam starts that scene where they're eating. Yes. By faking eating. Yes. But then as they're cleaning up, he pops like two chunks of cat into his mouth. So why even bother faking it if you're going to eat it anyway? I don't think, he, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know for sure. I think I made sense of it in my head as in like, this guy doesn't pay attention to what he does with his hands. Everybody's been yelling at him all movie not to touch things and get his fingerprints on (laughs) them. So he's just like, yeah, okay, I'll just eat this. Whatever. Whoops. Didn't want to do that. I think he also thinks the silverware is dirty. That's possible too. But I don't know. Um, So yeah, what what are your, what are your final? Oh, the, uh, I would say the last thing to mention is Ennio Morricone, the great Ennio Morricone does the music for this. Um, it's so insane it is i feel <laughs> I like it. it's uh it feels very a little bit of hangover from rosemary's baby because it's got yeah. the same kind of like la, 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 yeah yeah like childlike yeah kind a lot of, of that in there yeah but there are there are these moments where the soundtrack gets kind of like like breathy like a woman breathing yeah. and, and i always like, think that's really interesting there's also like crazy jazz in there too <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, there's definitely a whole sequence that feels like a scene from uh, the anime Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yes. You know, another movie I would actually credit as probably an influence on this is, have you ever seen Blow Up? No, but I know of it. It actually stars uh, David Niven, who is mm. the guy from Deep Red, mm-hmm. and is about a photographer who takes <laughs> a photograph, and when he develops the photograph, he notices there is a dead body in the photograph. Mm. And then so he starts going down the... Uh, um, path of trying to figure out who, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And gets very weird and surreal. It actually features the band The Yardbirds. Oh. Um, featuring Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. Wow. In, you know, pre-Led Zeppelin Jimmy Page. In a really weird scene where he's like, want, the guy's like wandering through the streets of London and then happens upon this performance of the Yardbirds uh-huh. where the Yardbirds are playing on stage and the whole crowd is just standing there silently watching them and then the amplifiers start fritzing out so Jeff Beck smashes his guitar then throws his guitar into the audience and the whole audience erupts and goes nuts and it's it's really strange but <laughs> it's a great, great movie it yeah. also um was sort of like spiritually remade by Brian De Palma as uh, uh, Blowout uh, which hopefully we'll get to watch at some point cool um, but yeah, uh, what are your final thoughts on The Bird with the Crystal Plumage? You know, I, I really liked it. I definitely, I'm really glad we watched it. I mm-hmm. think it's a really interesting if you like Argento mm-hmm. at all, if you've seen any of his other movies to kind of go back to this one and, and kind of see, see where it all began and how, like you were saying, how, how quickly he kind of hit the ground running yeah. with, with his thing. Um, I did want to bring up, and because Greg asked me this question, where he was like, "What makes this a horror movie? Why isn't this just like considered a thriller?" I think it probably is. Yeah. Um, I just think that Argento ends up all of his stuff gets lumped in. It's like John Carpenter. John Carpenter yeah. didn't didn't really make that many horror movies. Yeah. Well, I guess he kind of did, but nah. he made other stuff as well. But sure. He's known as like a horror director, and yeah. it's. While I wouldn't call like Escape from New York a horror movie, mm-hmm. I feel like people kind of lump all of his things together. Sure, um, you know, yeah, and I and I think I think a lot of things with serial killers tend to get pegged as horror oh, rather totally, than yeah. a thriller. Yeah, I mean, this is as this is as much of a horror movie as Scream as Peeping Tom or Peeping Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I I <laughs> I one of the things that I found funny about this is is how stylistically. It almost seems restrained for him. Yeah, it does in a lot of especially ways. knowing where he goes after. Uh huh. the The murders in this are almost tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> aside aside from the uh, slicing off of undergarments and whatnot, right? Um, and there's some there's some great set pieces in this in this movie, but they're not nearly as wild as some of the later ones, right? Like yeah. you know, as as we'll see when we get there, he goes from. Uh, off-camera spurts of blood on a mm-hmm. on on the floor in this movie to Tenebrae, where someone gets their hand cut off uh-huh. and just like a geyser of blood, <laughs> fa- like f- makes this <laughs> fan of red against the white wall. Oh it's just, my it's god! Wild. Anyway, we'll get there. Yeah, I I like this. I liked it a lot more as I was thinking about it afterwards. Mm. And it, it's a movie that I would like to revisit and kind of see what other kind of like contemporary uh, readings of it are and, yeah. and stuff. Because I do think it is, 
a really interesting first step for him and as and for the genre. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, again, these things. It's it's really interesting tracking. That's why I love tracking back on these movies mm-hmm. because you can see where it's like, oh, Mario Bava was doing this, and then uh, Dario Argento took that and started doing this, and then. Oh, Bob Clark took this and did oh. this in Black Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, oh, John Carpenter took this and did this in... Yeah, you know, there's like a lineage you can kind yeah. of trace things back through. And then, you know, uh, Sean Cunningham took Halloween and took a little bit of Carrie and started... You know, it's really mm-hmm. it's really fun to see how these things kind of like the Feed. family tree yeah, of all yeah. this stuff. Anyway, yeah. um, I think that's going to do it for the bird with the crystal plumage. We did it. I hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. And next time, I'm very excited about this. Oh. We are going to be doing number 105, 1958's The Horror of Dracula, starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Nice. As Van Helsing and Dracula, respectively. Oh, I'm excited about this one, too. Yeah, especially since... uh, Since we botched it so bad on the first Dracula movie we did. (laughs) Aww. All right, Pete. I'm looking forward to doing this. You know, I I was very upset. Yes. Because um, I saw on Twitter, someone had, uh, I think like Bloody Disgusting or whoever, one of these websites, yeah, had put up a thing saying that the 4K version of Bram Stoker's Dracula was coming back to theaters. Uh-huh. And I was like, perfect. Perfect excuse. Go see that. Yeah. We'll do the show. Yeah. Apparently, it's only in the UK. Oh, boo. So hopefully, maybe it will come over here. Oh, I hope so. Because they did the same thing with Apocalypse Now, and that came mm. over here eventually. Uh, so these things tend to... I would I would be shocked if it didn't get over here eventually. Yeah. Good but, inspiration uh, to take another crack at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, until then, I guess we'll just have to settle for Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. So mm. thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And if you'd like to help support us, Head over to the patreon.com slash the Penske file. Sign up for our Patreon where you can follow Amanda and I as we're working our way through the second string of Stephen King. This month, October, we're doing Children of the Corn. Yes. I think. Yes, I think so. And then so. November will be Pet Cemetery, and December will be 1990s adaptation of Stephen King's It, yes. which I'm excited about. Also, we're getting very close to figuring out what we're going to do next year. Mm-hmm. And I think the 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 front runners right now, we're probably going to put it up to a patron vote towards the end of the year, but I think the yeah. front runners are um, remakes and reboots, yep. holiday films, mm-hmm. so your New Year's Evils and your Leprechauns and your April Fool's Days. <laughs> And uh, also Video Nasties, a a curated selection of Video Nasties. (laughs) A carefully vetted selection of Video Nasties. Yes. So if you would like to vote on that when the voting happens, you're going to have to sign up for Patreon. So catch 22. (laughs) I don't think I used that correctly. I believe we just call that incentive. Yes. (laughs) Extortion is what we call it. Extortion. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for the support. And we will see you next time. Or I should say so long I was gonna do that oh. damn it Clay let me I'll, okay <clears throat> thank you guys for listening thank you for the support and we will see you next time so long there we go